You're listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com. I'm going to be team teaching with Pastor Jeff Clay today about baptism. Uh, So uh, I'll be in uh, John chapter 1, and we'll go to John chapter 9, so you can kind of get ready in your Bibles there. Uh, Related, uh, I'm going to talk about power and the Holy Spirit and anointing. And Pastor Jeff is going to talk about identity. Now, I wanted to talk about identity. And, uh, but Pastor Jeff is bigger than me. <laughs> and so he said, well, do you want to arm wrestle for it again? I go, no, I'm still hurting from the last time. And so, so, uh, so I said, okay, okay, I'll talk about power. I'll talk about power. You can have identity. You can have identity. Uh, so that's what we're going to actually do today as we pursue a wonderful, wonderful subject uh, related. So uh, John chapter 1, and in verse 29... This is the baptismal account of Jesus, some commentary on it. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, everybody with me there? John chapter 1, verse 29. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. That's John's words there saying about Jesus. And I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. And I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Let me pray. Jesus, we come now to be followers of you. We come to lay our lives truly before you. We come, God, that we might know you, that you would uh, hear our prayers, that we would know you, God, and that you would come and not only remove sin from our lives, God, and let it be buried at the cross, but that you'd allow us to enter into the joy of the Father. You'd allow us to draw closer and closer to God. And the Holy Spirit, it would be of your divine and good pleasure to baptize and fill us, and that you'd be honored as we enter into baptismal waters, and that you would come and reveal just through a supernatural revelation, God, the knowledge of your word, and that we would be your people, you would be our God, and that operating inside us, Lord God, would be you, your love, and your truth, and your might, and your resurrection power, God. And so lift us up this day, Lord God, that you would be glorified in and through your church. And so we pray this now in Jesus' name. Everyone saying? It's an incredible text here, John chapter 1. And so let's chat about how it relates to baptism. Okay, so a few things you need to know about baptism. So if you're reading your Bible, and I want everyone to be reading their Bible, you're going to find out that when you go through the Old Testament, the Old Testament does not speak about baptism. It's really fascinating. But yet if you hang out with Jews and uh, observant Jews, you're going to talk about their mikvah baths. And they're going to talk about how important mikvahs are. And they're going to talk about a certain baptismal rite and ritual. All of that's true. It's not in the Bible. It doesn't make it wrong. It has a certain historical context. The mikvah bath is kind of what you might think. I mean, look, we're, we're in an outdoor tent. This is the proximate size of the, of the tabernacle, actually. And so if you were going to be in the area 
and you're sitting outside in ag, you're going to get stinky and dirty. And so you're going to want to take some sort of bath or be cleansed. And there's certain ordinances of that that would be asked for, just really basic sanitary cleansing. Well, these would become in Jerusalem, these big mikvah vaths, which would be pretty much the size of this upfront area and steps that would go down and you would cleanse yourself. You'd walk this way and you'd walk out. I follow a, uh, the original architect for modern Israel, a guy by the name of Lean Rittmeyer, and he has the most fascinating uh, uh, drawings of ancient Jerusalem and Israel. And, and he was, he was the, last, the last non-Jew to be allowed to go underneath the temple and go all throughout these caverns. And he, he wrote about it. He drew about it. Some of the most fascinating things. If you really, really want to be a geek, come see me about that. And I'll turn you on to Lee Rittmeyer. But, but going into the temple area is just what you would think. You'd come from a traveler far out. You'd be dirty. You'd be stinky. And so you would go down into like a jacuzzi, baptismal kind of bath, and come out the other way. You could go to private quarters and change your clothes, or then you just dripped off, you know, and it dried off because it's the desert, and then you went in and you did your worship. None of that is in the Bible, which is really fascinating. What's in the Bible is the idea of circumcision. And Romans tells us that circumcision is certainly this practice of the flesh that God gave at one time, but it was a foreshadowing of salvation and how we would need to be circumcised in our hearts. So baptism is actually a new covenant, New Testament practice. And right here, John the Baptist is actually practicing this. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that's the issue. And so, in other words, if we were to go all the way down to our property, right, this is 63 acres, if we go to the San Inez River, and if we took away the Kachuma Dam, and all these waters would be running somewhat, we could go down there right now, in a sense, and we could begin to practice almost like John the Baptist, a slower-moving river, and then we could be preaching, and then we could say, anybody wants to get baptized, and you would come into the river, and if it's in traditional Judaism, which this is, you would actually come and, and like I usually, and I'll do it here, we'll, we'll baptize you going backwards. You know, that's, and that's just a practice. That's not like the Bible doesn't tell us to do that. It's because I like to do that. <laughs> but true Judaism, you actually went, it was part of your will. You're going to lay down your life to God. And so you walked into these waters and you prostrated yourself forward like this beneath a prophet or beneath a king or beneath somebody proclaiming the word of God. And, and so you're saying, I, I will immerse myself in you, God. I will immerse myself in you that my sins would be taken away and that you would cover every part of me. And as I rise myself out of the waters, I'm literally dripping wet with your presence. Hallelujah. Right? So that, that actually is a New Testament practice. That's what it means. So John the Baptist is here, and this is what he's doing. He's bringing people to repentance, and he sees Jesus. Now, at this point, John the Baptist is a rock star superstar. He is so popular and so powerful, they think he might be the Messiah. He knows that's not true. He knows there's a day coming in which Christ is going to enter and he's going to actually go by the wayside. And so, so he sees Jesus and he says, Behold the Lamb of God. I want you to say it with me. Who takes away the sin of the world? Amen. And that's what's going to happen. And so Jesus is this person, God in human flesh, who will have the sin and on the cross that he will take as a magnet 
and take away the sin of the world. The Spirit will come from heaven like a dove, and it will remain on Jesus. And they will all talk about this. Peter will talk about this later in his writings. This is Jesus, this true, true Son of God. So related to salvation, a few things that we have to talk about. So I'm telling you about forgiveness of sin. And if you want forgiveness of sin, raise your hand right now, right? That's okay. All of sin. Yes, okay. Put your hands down. Thank you, right? So now I want you to follow with me related to this. Even psychologists would say that's a good thing. Now here's what they mean by that. If you and I have offended one another, then, then we know from research biologically and just related to sociology that for us to say, I'm sorry, Oh, some of you have a hard time saying I'm sorry, huh? Yeah, I can, I can feel that right now, right? And there's books that talk about, you know, the art of an apology. And there, there's literature to help you. And, and they're not bad. They're good practices, you know? Start out by saying, I'm sorry, right? Don't defend yourself. You know, try to identify with the other. All of those things are just good, normal, healthy practices for us to do. We know that it's a benefit. And so, so some people kind of make a mistake and think, okay, well, don't I just say I'm sorry to God? Okay, well, that's a good start. God actually has to come and draw you to himself. And the only way that is possible is for him to take the scummiest and dirtiest elements of your heart and your soul and put it on him and pour out his blood so that you can experience the cleansing and draw near to God. So, so it's fair for us to say, great, have a benefit, have a social benefit, have a psychological benefit of, of, of forgiveness and saying you're sorry. That, that should be part of your life. It's certainly part of the Christian life as we, if we, we err with one another. But I'm telling you that the gospel is deeper. Yeah. The gospel is richer. The gospel is more powerful than that because it's going to grab your life and bring you to God in the inner sanctum of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You have been invited into a Trinitarian presence of God, and it is so beautiful and so supernatural, and God so desired it for you that he went to the cross. And from that place, from that transaction, which is seen here by the Holy Spirit, supernatural power is released. So, Jeff, I'm going to ask you in two minutes to come up, okay? So hang on. And so from this place of supernatural power, we now practice baptism. Yeah. And that baptism is, as you'll hear from Pastor Jeff Clay, an identity. And that is an inward and outward expression of a certain kind of reality. So I want Pastor Jeff Clay to come up right now. I want him to talk about these. I want him to preach about them. I want him to uh, come to you and really work through a series of points that you would understand just the joy and treasure of our salvation. Do I got to give you room here? Thank you, dear brother. Yeah. Okay. That, okay. That's well, good. I'll make room because you're bigger than me. No, man. No, no, that, no that, really. No, that, I really I like good. you. you I like you. Take, so oh, I like you too, man. That's yeah, good. Yeah. Team teaching. I think that's a first, isn't it? I like that. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, what Pastor Rick said is spot on, and, and the way we'd like to do this, or what we want to do, is kind of give you both sides of the equation here. I want to talk about your identity and what you are identifying with, your new identity when you're baptized, kind of what baptism is and what it isn't, and 
If you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to go to a few different places. You can follow along with me or I'll read the verses, but I'm going to go into Matthew chapter 28 to start out with. And uh, towards the end, Matthew 28, in this, this new identity that you who are going to get baptized will take on, you're identifying with obedience. You are identifying with obedience flat out. Let me read the verse. This is Jesus talking in Matthew 28. This is after he's been crucified, he's been resurrected, and it's before he goes away again. These words are very, very important. In fact, in some of your Bibles, it'll say the Great Commission. It says exactly this. In verse 18, this is Jesus talking. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Yes and amen. It is that important. Can I say this, dear friends? This is not an option. This is an obligation. This is not an option. It's an obligation. And I'll use a couple, three-syllable three syllable, um, uh, theological words here. It's non-salvific but obligatory. It's non-salvific, but obligatory. It doesn't save you. We know the thief on the cross was not baptized, was he? However, those of us on this side of the cross, there is no reason we would not follow through in the obedience of being baptized. I've got three other points, and I'm going to be done quick, but I want you to think about all these together as I finish. The next thing you're identifying as is crucified. You are identifying with the crucified Christ. I'm going to go to Romans chapter 6 for this. I'm going to flip over really quick to Romans chapter 6. This is Paul's great treatise, I think, on baptism and the significance of it. Romans 6.3 says this. Listen to this. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Don't you know we were baptized into his death? We are crucified with him. This is a symbol of that. When you go down under that water, that symbolizes going down into death. Didn't Christ, after he was crucified, went down? But for us, it symbolizes a death of the old man. This old man, as a matter of fact, ruled our flesh. This symbolically shows that he is dying. In fact, you remember in Romans when Paul talks about the relationship actually between a man and a woman, the covenant of marriage. If the man or the woman should die, the other spouse is released from that covenant relationship. When you die to the old man, the flesh, you are released from the relationship you had with sin. You are released from the old man. Believe it or not, before you were saved, you were under a covenant relationship with sin. I'm not making excuses, but that's what the Bible says. This symbolizes the breaking of that covenant relationship. So, and, and real quick to back a little bit of that up, in John 12, listen to this. This is Jesus again. He says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. This is the start of something big today, guys. It's the start of something big. Lastly on that, the, the crucifixion. Um, some people... Uh, 
they think that somehow going down in the water symbolizes the washing away of sin, and I get that, but that's not at all. It symbolized death. When, when you were saved by Christ, the sin was done away with. So let me keep going here. Did you know that when you are baptized, you are identifying as being in agreement with the Father, the Father God? Watch this. Watch this. I'm going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 through 22. Kind of a mysterious piece of scripture, but it's deep, and I love it, and you're going to get it a mile away. When you are baptized, you are identifying with God the Father. Listen to this. I'm going to start in verse 18 of chapter 3 of 1 Peter. It says this, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah when the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism and now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Look at this. In Genesis, uh, God gives a preview of coming attractions. Baptism, he baptized the world. The old has gone. The new has come. When you're baptized, you are identifying with God the Father. Now, for my last point, let's go back to Romans 6. I'm going to be in Romans 6, verse 4. And Rick touched, Pastor Rick touched on this. I think he did a great job. You are identifying as a new creation in no uncertain terms, and I love this part of it. Romans 6, 4 says this. We were, baptized, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That is what's going on. I love this. We'll be baptizing. We'll raise someone up. There's a newness. There is a newness about them in the spirit and in the flesh. I love it. And you guys know for sure, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. I cannot think of a better picture of this than baptism. And lastly, and then I'm going to ask Rick to come back up, but I want to say this. And listen to this. I think this is the crux of what I want to say. It is more than just this symbolic thing that we do. There is a transaction in the spirit. Do you believe that? There is a transaction in the spirit when someone is baptized. It's the same with any of the sacraments, whether it's communion, something in the spirit happens big time. Listen, I'm going to read again in Romans 6, verses 5 through 7. Now listen to this and put your spirit in a place where you can hear the Holy Spirit talking to you, and I guarantee something will happen. And we have been united with him like this in his death. We will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. 
dear brothers and sisters. Yeah, be in tune to the Spirit. And I'll tell you what, if the Spirit is tugging on you, don't put up roadblocks. Do as the Spirit is asking you to do. Pastor Rick, what do you think about that? That's great. That's yeah? fantastic. That's fantastic. Yeah. So I want you to stay right here for one okay. moment. I, oh, want I don't get to leave. One... Okay. <laughs> All, right. All right. What? So that's just fantastic preaching. Really good job on the outline, those bullet points. What would you say is your hope for mm. us as we would go into the baptismal waters and for our beautiful church here and God's people? What is your hope as you people go in and come out? Mm, boy, that's a great question. Uh, I think towards the end of my points, I referenced that something tangible happens in the spirit. This is my hope, Pastor Rick, that... I've talked before about having touchstones or memorials in your life that you can look back and you recognize the divine has reached down to this realm and touched you. I want all of us to get baptized today to store this away in our mind. Let this be a touchstone because I guarantee six months from now, you're probably not thinking about this. Times get tough. The devil attacks. I want you to be able to grab onto or touch the spiritual power that you will be feeling today. That, I mean, that, that's my hope. Big time. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's great. Thank you, great. I want to continue on for another few moments, and uh, then we're going to actually get into our time of baptism. And I, I want us to understand that what we're, what we're going to do is we're going to continue on, actually, with our service. And we definitely have a nice lunch. Uh, we, uh, we have a summer lunch. We have hot dogs, we have nice hot dogs, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, all of that. And then we're going to be, we're going to, in a sense, move over here to our, our horse trough as we as we go through our time of baptism, uh, I, want to, I want to talk about uh, the idea of what happens inside. Uh, so in John chapter 9, and I'm going to run for home on this, verse 1. Uh, this is John chapter 9, verse 1. It says, and, and he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Well, that's fascinating. Verse 2, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? that he was born blind. Let me pause there and say that it's just like us to try and blame somebody or find out, you know, what, what's, what's the story here. And you know what God says? Get out of the way. I'm going to do something. Yeah. You know, so I, I'm not really concerned about blaming some parent. I'm not really concerned about, you know, some theological statement. Here's a brother or sister that's hurting, and I want to heal them, and I want to do something great in their life. And so, verse 3, Jesus answered, It's not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him, to the point that I just made. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Verse 5, As long as I am in the world, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And so God's children operate as children of light. That's, you should apply that to social media, friends. Right? So operate as children of light, always. And, and that's part of why we go through baptism. It's part of that obedience, but it's also part of our life where if Christ is in us and we're going to be part of these, the, the season of life, you know, right now we have this Roe versus Wade turned over, which is amazing. And praise the Lord. And, if, and 
if, you're, if you've ever had an abortion or, or anything of that, that, that nature, God loves you and uh, God will carry you through. God will bring, him, bring you to himself. There's no judgment on any of that. However, what I want to say related to children of light is let's not be children of light who rub victories in people's faces. Right, so even on my social feed, I'm like, oh, brother, don't say it that way. Sister, don't say it that way. Don't say it this way. Don't say it that way. You're losing your witness. You're losing your witness. You're losing. You know, when, when God has just given the victory, all it is is hallelujah time. And we don't need to say too much more. And so Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Verse 6, having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam which means sent, and so we washed and came back seeing. So the idea of, that's really new in the new covenant is the idea that everyone can be anointed. So let's talk about anointing here, and this is how we're going to run for home. So the idea of anointing is really fascinating. In the Old Testament, it was, it was really a, a prophet or a priest or a king or maybe a warrior that uniquely was anointed. In other words, that God's power uniquely would come on this person. And so famously in the Old Testament, we have King David, who's going to be anointed to be this king. And he's not going to be perfect, but he will operate with God's power. And so the king gets it. I want you to think about a, a anointing as like a, a, a tattoo on your soul. Yeah. Uh, so some people, some people get tattoos, and that's, you know, that's fine. That's between them and the Lord. And some people have nice ones and maybe not nice ones, whatever the case is. And, uh, and so I want you to think of anointing as a tattoo on the soul, a marking that says God's power rests on you. God's power is now operating in on you. And I want you to understand it's also not ritualistic. So, for example, earlier in Jesus' ministry, he's going to open the scrolls, and he's going to quote Isaiah chapter 61, and he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, but he's reading the Bible. And he's preaching the Word. So he's reading the Bible, preaching the Word, and saying, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. Preach good news to those who are poor. Release freedom to the captives. But now here, he's going to anoint, he's going to anoint this guy to be healed. And aren't you glad that we don't have to do this every time? Because otherwise it would mean that, hey, I want to minister to you. Let me spit on you, you know. And so he's just going to spit in his hand. He's going to spit in this mud. He's going to make this paste. You know, it's probably nasty. You know, <laughs> this is not, we're not told to replicate this. This is just what he does. And he puts it on the guy's eyes. And I think the Lord is doing this so that we will not become fake and phony or outwardly ritualistic. This is just so kind of out of the box. And then he puts it on this man. He says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And this man will be sent and preach the gospel in that sense. And so he went and washed and came back seeing. And what's fascinating is that the Lord puts it on the man. The man's still blind. And you know what he says to him? I want you to catch this here in verse Siloam. He says, okay, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. All right, so there's a little bit of distance here. The man actually has to obey. Yeah, right. All right, so and he, has to, he, has to, he himself has to take that next step because that's part of his faith walk to understand and come to Christ. But Christ has drawn him to himself. Yeah. And so he's got, like, I look at that, I go, boy, that's really funny. What if he didn't find the pool? No, he's going to find the pool that others would help him and he'd wash and he would actually become a seeing person. God is calling you out. He really is. He's actually calling you out into a 
unique relationship with him as a favored son and daughter of God. That is available to all who call upon the Lord. It, it, It is not the favor of a pastor or priest in any way, shape, or form. The new covenant means that it is available to all. Baptism is, is, is a, a, a practice of embracing and activating all of that. And so we're going to enjoy baptism right now. I know some of you did not come here expecting maybe to be baptized, and you're going to get baptized. <laughs> one of my favorite baptisms, one of my favorite cowboys, big Joe Cochran, who showed up to church. Joe's a pretty big, pretty big boy, and he's in his cowboy regalia with cowboy boots. And he looks the part, and he is the part. He's a legit cowboy. And he dumped his boots and everything in that horse trough and came out. And, and, and uh, that, that's, that's what it's like. Okay, so some of you are thinking, there's no way I'm doing that. Get that out of your mind. Some of you need to get dunked and baptized to activate your faith, and you came here with no expectation of that. Some of you will have the privilege of changing your clothes, and some of you are going to get wet, and the sun is going to dry you. We come to faith in Lord Jesus Christ simply by faith. For by grace, the Bible says in Ephesians 2 and 9, we are saved. For by grace, by faith, we are saved. It is not of ourselves, the scripture says. It's not of works so that you nor I nor anybody else can ever boast about that. The next verse after that talks about that we're created in his, to be his workmanship. And so there is the saving and there is this walking. There is the saving and there is this plan. And God will empower you and hold you closely to him. He is not done with you. He has great purpose for you. You have pains and aches legitimately, maybe physical infirmities or soul infirmities, and it is God's will and desire to heal you of those things and to release them from your life. Thank you for listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com.